Next, this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. ReachMD talks to experts about new thinking and innovations in the treatment of conditions of the aging body and mind. Once again, we hear talk of shortages in primary care physicians. The boomers are reaching their golden years. Will there be anybody there to take care of them? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ken Brummel-Smith. Dr. Brummel-Smith is the Charlotte Edwards McGuire Professor and Chair, Department of Geriatrics, Florida State University College of Medicine. He is a past president and the immediate past chairman of the board of the American Geriatrics Society. Today we are discussing the need to train and how to train more geriatric physicians. Hi, Dr. Brummel-Smith. I appreciate your being with us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. A recent article in the Palm Beach Post sent to me by my mother, no less, revealed the startling fact that in the state of Florida, the home of the older population, there are only 391 geriatricians, and that by the year 2030, nationally, when there will be more than 80 million people older than 65 years of age, the nation will need roughly 26,000 more geriatricians than are likely to be available. Why is there such a shortage in How do we approach the problem? Well, you mentioned it in your introduction that there's a shortage of primary care physicians and the pipeline for geriatrics is primary care because you have to either be a family physician or an internist to do a fellowship in geriatrics. So that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is just, I think, our general low esteem that older people are held in the society so it's not seen as a high cachet residency right now, and, you know, we have a lot of students going into radiology and dermatology and and the other so-called lifestyle specialties. So that's a combination of different factors. And the big issue also, of course, is reimbursement, that the amount of money geriatricians make is far below the procedurally oriented specialists. Are there any ways to approach that problem? As a pediatrician, I experience a lot of what you're talking about firsthand. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, pediatrics is a good example because pediatrics was also seen as kind of an unnecessary, especially when it was first thought of, but obviously now it's bread and butter for medical education, and and every medical school in the country has a requirement for teaching pediatrics, which is a smart thing. Not every medical school has such a requirement for geriatrics, and in fact, only 11% of medical schools have a required rotation in geriatrics. So one thing that could help would be to do more geriatric teaching during medical school. It has improved in most of the residencies. There are some requirements for geriatric training, and actually most residencies, and there's real specific requirements in family medicine and internal medicine. But I think a bigger solution is going to be more of a governmental solution. You've started a program at Florida State University School of Medicine. Is that directed at the medical school level or internship residency level? Where does your program fit in? Well, Florida State is the first new medical school in the country for 25 years. Now, there's been a sweep of new medical schools just starting up. But back in 2001, when we were starting, it was the first one. And it was the first medical school in the world to have a legislative mandate to teach geriatrics. So we actually have in the law that created the school the words that says there's the legislature intends there to be a focus on the aging human throughout all four years. 
which really helps us to integrate geriatrics into everything that we do. We also take the path that we're not trying to necessarily train geriatricians, but that we believe every physician, including pediatricians, by the way, since so many grandparents care for children nowadays, ought to know geriatrics. What will be taught new that's not part of a traditional internal medicine family practice program? Well, one of the things we're trying to do is focus on the principles of care more than just the kind of medical facts. So, for instance, the four principles that we consider to be the most important in providing a geriatric approach, regardless of the age of the patient, are good communication skills, the ability to undergo what we call therapeutic review, meaning we think about the therapy we're giving broader than just medications, the importance of understanding the social setting that the person is in, and finally, the whole very important area of the functional approach that we are treating diseases or conditions they have, not just to treat that condition, but to help promote independent functioning. That's a very interesting approach that I don't think I've ever experienced in my training program. What kind of reaction do you get from the students? Well, it's interesting. On some respects, you know, there are some students who say there's too much geriatrics in our curriculum. But on the other hand, every medical school assesses its graduates at the time that they graduate about their satisfaction with their training. And we have the highest rating in geriatric training in the nation. So we've had some people who react negatively, but most of the students are very positive about it. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ken Brummel-Smith, Chair of the Department of Geriatrics at Florida State University School of Medicine, and we're talking about geriatric education. So overall, you feel the students are dealing with it okay. What are the things they like best? Well, they really like the experiences of working directly with older people. We have them start that in the first year, and it's not based on a medical model, so that we actually call them senior mentors. And the goal of that experience is to just learn about the life of a senior so that they understand how vibrant and active and thoughtful they are. Do you do any role-playing? We do role plays. We have standardized patients, and we include the standardized patients in all of our training about history and physical exam skills. We've spoken about compensation, and I'd like to come back to that. You mentioned that you think it's going to take national health care to correct the deficiency in the number of geriatricians. Is that where you think we need to go? I personally believe in a national health insurance program as the solution for the insurance program, but I don't think that will be enough to create more geriatricians. I think as a nation, what we need to do is decide, you know, does the profession of physician exist to serve the nation or does it exist to serve its own profession? And so, in other words, I think it's fine for a country, and most countries actually do this, to say we need more primary care physicians. So, we will fund the training of them. But if you want to do some subspecialty that is less in need, then you'll have to pay for that training yourself. That means that anybody who chooses internal medicine, family medicine, or pediatrics, and probably OBGYN is the you know main four primary care, would come out of medical school with no debt. That would be ideal. And then, obviously, that would significantly change the number of people wanting to go into it. 
The other thing I think we could say is that, you know, right now, I don't know if you know this, but Medicare actually funds residency training in this country. So here we have the program for older people funding mostly people who don't go into older people's care. And I think that that should change. Medicare should fund the training of geriatricians, but let the hospitals figure out how to fund the training of all the other residents. Speaking about Medicare, can the problem be solved without changing the sustainable growth rate formula? No. I mean, actually, there are many things about Medicare that need to be changed. So, But you're right. That's the kind of bottom line that needs to change. We need to change the way reimbursement, instead of it being so tightly connected to procedures, is instead connected to the difficulty of the patient being managed. We need to look at increased payment for difficult cognitive work. We need to look at increased payment for dealing with family members since they're the primary sources of caregiving in this country. We could design an economic system that would incentivize all the right things, but we just need to have the political will to do that. Is that the message you would give one of our candidates for president if they called you right now and said, what do we need to do? Absolutely. I would love to give them that message. (laughs) I have my own little pediatric solution, and not really pediatric, but with the RVU system, I mean, it was developed in 1992 when a gallon of gasoline was about a dollar. And what they've not really done is, you know, I think as it was developed, they were counting on the fact that the conversion factor would at least keep track with inflation. And they keep threatening to reduce it. So I think the AMA ought to just say, okay, we're going to have a 20% increase in the RVUs. And then, you know, it compensates the doctors who are trying to work in the trenches. I think it would be a temporary solution, though, because it still doesn't get at the fact that a pediatrician doesn't do many procedures. And so they're dealing with a difficult pediatric case, for instance, and they're having to go through, quote, a translator, the parent. And it takes a lot of time to do that. And why should it be that if they take 30 minutes with a really difficult case, but it keeps that kid out of the hospital and out of a huge expense for the insurance company, that they only get paid, you know, a relatively small amount compared to a 15-minute surgical procedure. To be the little guy in the trenches talking to past chairman of the board of the American Geriatric Society, is there a program that is currently underway in the Geriatric Society to improve compensation? Is there an active process going on? There's a very active process. One is an issue in geriatrics that's really important is called comprehensive assessment. It's where the entire needs of the patient are cataloged and a team care plan is developed. And this has been shown to be very effective at improving the quality of care and reducing long-term care costs. And it's not reimbursed under any Medicare guideline right now. So the Chronic Care Act is being pushed by the American Geriatric Society and has a number of senators and congressmen who have signed on to it. And we really need to have that type of a system available for geriatric care. One of the responses I've seen, at least I believe I've seen, to the compensation issue is great number of increase in advanced practice nurses throughout the fields of medicine. In your training program at FSU, are you also training advanced practice nurses in geriatrics? 
We have an affiliation with the Florida A&M University that has a geriatric nurse practitioner program, and we do work in close concert with them through our geriatric education center. But I think that that's a really important development. I think physician assistants can also be helpful there. A number of years ago, I started a geriatric fellowship for physician assistants. So I think uh, collaborative efforts are going to be the solution. If you were asked by a resident, should I choose a career in geriatrics? I'm sure you would tell them yes. But, you know, how would you excite them to do it? What would you say, you know, here's the beauty of this field and this is what's going to sustain you through some of the difficult areas? Well, one thing I would tell them is that if you like medicine, geriatrics is the great place to be because these are difficult medical cases. You're not dealing with uh, sore throats all the time. You're dealing with complex medical conditions that often are multiple and interactive. So it really takes a great diagnostician and a great clinician to be able to figure out that medical care. If you also happen to like people, then it really is helpful because uh, the older population is still the population that likes doctors. (laughs) And it's nice to be around them. And then the the third thing I think I'd tell them is I would give them the data. And that shows that, yeah, we are at the low end of the spectrum right down there with pediatricians in terms of our incomes. But guess who's at the top of the scale in terms of satisfaction with their career? Geriatricians and pediatricians. So it's interesting to me that the highest paid specialties have the lowest rates of satisfaction, and geriatricians and pediatricians and internists actually on satisfaction scales have the highest rates. So are you interested in money or are you interested in life satisfaction? Because if you're interested in money, it's not a great place to go, but if you want to be happy, this is it. Let me give you a thought from Dr. Bernard Isaacs, who said, A geriatrician is a doctor with a soft heart, a hard head, a thick skin, and a chip on the shoulder. By which he meant, with a soft heart he feels, with a hard head he decides, with a thick skin he fights, and with the chip on his shoulder he suffers. Do you relate to that? Yeah, that's a great quote, too. And I think that fits exactly the experience of a geriatrician. Well, if you think that's a great quote, then let me take that as a great place to end this wonderful discussion. I'd like to thank Dr. Brummel Smith, who's been our guest for this special segment on medical education. We've been discussing training physicians in geriatric medicine. I leave you with further words from Dr. Bernard Isaacs. To understand Homer, learn Greek. To understand old people, learn their language. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, visit us at ReachMD.com. And download ReachMD's iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of medical news and information that you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.